You're listening to the Utah Man Podcast, bringing you the latest news and analysis for your Utah Utes. Now, your hosts, Cameron, Ryan, and Scott. Welcome on into the Utah Man Podcast. On this episode, we're looking back as the Utes defeat Oregon State. And we're joined by Jordan Wynn to talk a little Utah Utes football and kind of get his perspective on things. I'm Cameron, and I got Ryan. What's up, Ute Nation? And Scott. What's up? We're in the win column, fellas. Woo! Utes get their first win, 30-24 to or over Oregon State. It didn't feel like a win, though. It felt, it felt like a Vegas Bowl win against BYU. <laughs> Hollow, ugly... <laughs> I was talking to to Cy, who has helped out the podcast, uh, getting interviews and whatnot. We were chatting after the game, and I think he he said it best. It it was like the NIU game a couple years ago, right? Where I think Chase Hansen had to get the pick six to to kind of seal the game. In this, it took a Britton Covey punt return to ultimately win the game for the Utes. I mean, a win is a win, and after two losses, in fact, if you look at it, after four straight losses. And over a, year a year without a win. <laughs> that stupid year stat they kept throwing up. The ESPN loved that stat. 371 They went back days. to it over and over again. Ugh. It was literally the only preparation I think they did <laughs> for that game. A win is a win, and, we, and I think you fans should be happy with it. But boy, is there a lot that Utah needs to work out. I swear, I was more angry after this win than I was after the first two losses. Well, yeah, it's it's frustrating. It be, it's because the last two games they've shown to be a really good team in the first half. Now, granted, I know we had red zone issues and, and had to settle for three straight field goals on those f- first three possessions, which was not good. But at least they were moving the ball. The offense looked like they were in control. Even the defense looked like they were in control of that game, just like we did against Washington. And then the halftime rolls around, the field turns into lava, and they can't do anything. I just don't understand why we have such a different mindset going from the first half to the second half and are having such such different performance levels on each of those. I think it goes beyond that because even in the third quarter, Utah, when the, Utah got the ball, they marched right down and scored a touchdown. It's They're getting these leads and just shutting shutting it down. Way too early, and you can't do that in a P five. Is it the players shutting it down, or is it the coaches? Come on, guys. There's no way a 16 year vet like Kyle Whittingham would not learn from his mistakes, (laughs) and would not, especially when that mistake was literally a week ago. (laughs) He he would not let that allow that to happen again. People are creatures of nature, right? Isn't that the right saying? Creatures of habit. Oh, that's it. <laughs> Let me redo that again. People are... Look behind door number two. <laughs> no, I think you got the Covey thing. You seven habits of highly effective people. <laughs> you know what I mean. This is a this is a, an, turned into like an animal ecosystem podcast. I hate you guys. People revert back to their natural habits. And habitats. <laughs> I'm done. I'm done. Kyle just he just goes back to the mountains after the games, just back to his home. Clearly, because he hasn't had a haircut forever either. 
He does kind of look like a, a Yeti. He's kind of got a little Yeti vibe. And what's up? What, what's up with the the Kyle Whittingham hat? Three three straight games he's worn a hat. He never wears hats. Is he trying to keep, cover his, keep those his locks. mouth up there? I'm trying to keep his locks out of his eyes. No, so if you twenties, something else. If you look at Utah's offense, especially in this this last game, they didn't throw the ball in the second half, and you know that has to be by design. Bentley throws the ball seven times in the third and fourth quarter, and he he has thirty three yards. What most of those came in the third quarter. He only threw it once. Yeah, okay, and and, yes. and the, threw the, it once the, in the, the fourth. Pass he threw in the fourth was more of like a shock put. So he, he has 33 yards in the whole second half. 22 of those came on their first drive in the third quarter. Yeah, I don't know. And then 11 yards came on their next possession. All I can do is shake my head, fellas. That's, I know that sucks for a podcast, but that's what I'm doing. <laughs> well, it's a trend because we talked about this last week when in the previous game, no wide receiver touched the ball in the second half. So... So there's there's something going on where they they think they've got this lead, and I say they I'm I'm referring to the coaches because clearly the players want to get out there and throw the ball around and score points. If I were a player, I'd want to. So they're saying sit on this lead. Well, it, it it's coming from the coaches. There's no there's no way that uh, that Jake Bentley's just by ch- by choice. <laughs> Audibling to to these boring run plays up the gut. There's just it's just not happening. It's what's coming. It's the calls that are coming in, and whether they're being Ludwig is being coerced at gunpoint to make these calls by the by the man by Yeti himself. <laughs> that that that. That's that's where I'm going. That's the only thing I got. Okay, if if you're if you're going there, then why does Whittingham sit in the press conference after the game and just throw every offensive coach under the bus? Because he's got multiple personalities. This is this is what Whittingham said after the game. He said, "We just got we kind of just got too vanilla and non-imaginative. We knew that we needed to milk the clock, but to have three three and outs in succession like we did, there that's unacceptable." Well, we've heard we've heard those comments from him before. That's not a new phrase he's used. So, so the question is now. Granted, we're not players, right? We haven't been through the program. We uh, we don't we don't necessarily know how this works. But it does strike me a little odd that he's on the same radio that these calls are coming in. And can he not say, "Hey, we're in 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 present time. Hey, we're being too vanilla. Let's go." Let's get this it, offense rolling. It, it does no good to call him out hindsight after the game, and if he if he sees things aren't aren't working and knows the what plays are being called in, it's your job as the head coach to make the changes during the game. And I think that's ultimately what it comes down to. I mean, we can you know bicker and moan about Ludwig's play calling and what's working, what's not working, but at the end of the day, Winningham's the head coach. He he's the one that has to to make the shots. Lugwood's going to call the plays, but if things are getting vanilla, if things aren't imaginative, as what Winningham's saying, he has to correct that in the moment. Okay, but, but we all know. I mean, just just by nature, sixteen years at Utah, 
we know Kyle's conservative offensively. He likes to run the ball, he likes to drain clock, and he likes to play good defense. That's 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 his best case scenario. That's his happiest day on earth is waking up and running the ball at will, playing good defense, and probably never letting the quarterback throw the ball. But from there, even with what we know about Kyle, there's a reason these play calls are coming through like this. And I think it has to do with what we have a quarterback currently and maybe a lack of trust to put the ball in the air with this said quarterback. Once they get a lead. Once they get a lead. I, I mean, I don't, I just, I just don't, I can't figure out any other explanation other than that. You're probably right. But, and for the most part during the, obviously, Ty Jordan had over 160 yards rushing, which is fantastic. But when it comes down to crunch time and you're going to rely on that, and it's second and one at midfield, you can't get one yard. Okay. It's third and one at midfield, you can't get that one yard. Now it's fourth and one. Do we punt or do we go for it and try to put this game away? Nope. They go for it and can't get one yard. And 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 here's the thing. This is I you can still go conservative and run the ball and still have some imagination in the run game. The problem is we just run the same play over and over to the same right between the left guard. Same spot. Oh, it didn't work. It'll work this this next time. No, it didn't work again. That's weird. Let's try it again. There's more than one running well, play. And every well, time so, Cubby's coming in motion, give him the ball. Well, and they do that in the first half. That's the thing that's so crazy is they're not taking a lot of risk even even in the first half of these games. Why aren't they doing the, the small and simple things to get Covey on a fly sweep, to get Brent Keithy in motion and giving him the ball on the run. I mean, yes, they can still run the clock out. They can still have that MO, the things that Winningham wants. But why are they completely shutting it down? Maybe maybe there's a rule they're only allowed to call imaginative plays so many times a game. <laughs> maybe Larry Scott put in a new clause <laughs> that we don't know about. Yeah, I I don't know. I mean, it's 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 not a mystery that the three of us are trying to only figure out. It's log on to Twitter. You <laughs> fans are, uh, I think I think I think fans in general are a little upset just seeing the same thing over and over. This this conservative approach. I mean, I get it. Yes, we've got a young offensive line, and there and and late in the game. When, I mean, you, you heard it himself. Ty, Ty Jordan said that the Oregon State picked up on some things, they keyed on some things, and they figured out what Utah was doing. And, and it's clear as day with the results that Oregon State knew what was coming and they knew how to defend it because they did it very well in that second half. So if a true freshman can figure out that the opponent has keyed on some things, I'm pretty sure some veteran coaches can figure that out as well. And can can make some adjustments. Now, Cam Rising was originally the starter. He he had the ability to run. We saw him th- run the option before he got injured. Bentley's got some running ability. Why don't we Why don't we get creative and 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 run a little option? Just try and keep the defense off balance instead of just just the run up the gut. I mean, Ty Jordan. We'll get to Ty Jordan, absolute stud. 
But 27 attempts. That's a lot of attempts for a true freshman. Mm-hmm. Well, and then when you look down the list, the next highest was Devin Brumfield with six. And 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 I have no problem with that because you go to the guy that produces. I don't care if they're a freshman or if they're a fifth year senior. Whoever produces gets gets the Brock. And Ty Jordan is does not look like a freshman. I mean, his ability to be patient, to hit the hole, to set up blocks, to to read the, to read these blocks and make moves off of it. He's special. He's gonna be. He's gonna be really good. Well, you, but he can't do it alone. No, and the scary part is, I think Winningham said in his Monday presser, there were a couple plays that uh, Jordan missed the hole, right? He, he missed the read and went through, into the wrong hole. And I'm not saying that to knock it, what he did. I'm just saying he he's only going to get better. And what we saw, what we've seen this season, and what they say this game, 27 carries, 167 yards, he's going to get better. And I think that's the exciting part to see a player like Ty Jordan. I mean, going back, we talked about it last week. Kyle Kyle loves a, a balanced offense. Well, again, we were not very balanced with uh, 44 rush attempts to 27 passing. and uh, It's not quite 50-50. Well, no, it's not 50-50. I'm okay. I mean, does. it doesn't have to be 50-50. But the, the problem is when you're just loading up run after run after run after run. The defense doesn't have the to The defense, think. does. they can just hone in on that, and, and they did it. We, you've got to keep again. You've got to keep the defense guessing to an extent and throw the ball when they when they expect you to run it. And I mean that's I think that's I mean that's the unimaginative part of the offense that I think Kyle's alluding to is we just same thing over and over and over and over. And I'd have no problem if we ran it every play in the second half if we're getting four or five yards of carry and we kept moving the chains and we got in the red zone and we scored. At that point, it doesn't matter how you score. Just score. But when you're running it over and over and over and getting nothing from it, that's the problem. Going back to your earlier point when you're talking about how there may not be a very high trust level with Bentley, I think I think that probably showed out as that game went on because clearly in the first two games, we lost those games because we turned the ball over and most of those turnovers came because of Bentley. So I'm sure the last two weeks it's been in, they've been in Bentley's ear. Don't turn the ball over. Don't turn the ball over, which he didn't do, but they gave him less opportunities to do it, especially as the game got tighter. But, but you, I mean, honestly, we're, we're, we're sitting here and we're arguing. You're not giving him the opportunity. But I would ask you, if, if you're the OC, would you say he deserves the opportunity to throw it? Do you trust him enough to throw to let him throw the ball late in the game? Depends on the route you're creating for him to run. If it's a deep ball, absolutely not. Well, and I think what if that's it's a crossing pattern <laughs> on third down short of the third uh, of the first down marker? Well, we've ta- we've also talked about this though. He's at certain times he throws a good ball. I mean, that slant touchdown to Covey Perfect. was right on the money. The slant touchdown to Nakua two weeks ago was right on the money. Well, a lot of the balls he threw to, to Keithy in the first half on those crossing patterns across the field, right on the money. Just not in the red zone. But yeah, you get into the red zone and Keithy... 
No, Keithy I, has coronavirus apparently. So I totally get where you're coming from, and 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 trust issues with with Bentley and whatnot. I get where you're coming from, but at the same point, if that's if that's the approach they're going to take, if that's the strategy they want, then they need to get more creative. And what what we said ten minutes ago. They need to start doing other things to get other guys involved then. And it can't just be a handoff power run to Jordan between the tackle and the guard. I mean, put put Keithy back in the Wildcat and with with two running backs on either side of him. Nobody I mean, you don't know where who's gonna get the ball at that point. They did do that a little bit with Covey and, and Jordan. Um and then threw out of that formation. <laughs> 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 but I, I'll tell you, it's it's crazy to me what Ty Jordan's done in in three games in his first start. Seventy one, we ran seventy one plays. He touched the ball twenty nine of those seventy one times. As a as a true freshman making his first start, you want to talk about trust? The trust that that Ludwig and that Whittingham have in him. Versus the quarterback, especially it's after crazy uh, he, when he fumbled it inside the red zone against Washington. In the next series, he's the first one to touch the ball again. Has has anybody in Kyle Winningham's tenure at Utah earned the trust this quickly? Zach Moss didn't even have this his freshman year. No, I mean I, I honestly can't think of anybody. It's crazy that uh, what he what he's been able to do. And I'll tell you, these coaches they probably they probably go to bed. And jump into Ty Jordan jammies. Well, they love it. They love themselves some Ty. It's not at the same level, but you see, Mackay Bernard, he's getting some run in some goal line situations and some short yardage situations. There, maybe and maybe some of that's just preparing these guys for the future because they know this is a throwaway season and why not give the fu- give these guys of the future. The reps they need to get better. Well, I mean, yeah, he only had three three attempts, but he averaged eight point seven on those three attempts. That's pre- that's pretty good. He's got a nice, pretty. He's got a nice burst. He does. He's no, he's he's good. I, I, I mean, I, I, I really like Devin Brumfield, but as the season wears on, I think it's it's going to be obviously Jordan's your guy, and then it's either going to be who who. Who produces more out of Wilmore and Bernard is is going to be your backup. I I just I just don't think you're seeing enough from Devin to to really be the guy to be the number two. All right, we're up against so it. We got to take a break. When we come back, let's talk some wide receivers. All right, so Utah wide receivers had a. I had a good game out of Keithy and, and Covey. After that, none of them really touched the ball. Well, and you really don't even... Keithy's technically a tight end, so if you're looking strictly at the wide receiver position, it was the the 47-year-old um, injured Covey who was your star player. <laughs> <laughs> but did did Covey not look like the old Covey? He, he did. He, he looked, looked pre-mission he Covey. Had, he, his speed was impressive. Well, he said this is the first time he has felt this healthy. Um, since his mission. Since 1987. And you know what? The best part about Covey, it never gets old. Dude will still be a junior next year. <laughs> <laughs> he never gets old either. He's going to be a doctor at Utah. <laughs> and I love how he plays it up on Twitter, too. I know. It's, the he's, Tommy Boy 
gif today or gif however you say that he's he's a stud i'll tell you no it's but it how big is that for the offense assuming we utilize him (laughs) to have him back and seeing him healthy he scores two touchdowns the team mobs him so excited for him that's huge to get to, to have him back and be and and not just be on the team and not just be getting reps but to be a crucial part of the team again it is exciting what i think what bothers me is we have such talent that we've never had at all the wide receiver positions before and it's not getting utilized you've got enos you've got thompson who we talked about last week who is probably nfl talent at wide receiver didn't even get an attempt thrown at him this week and and he did have limited reps he he wasn't in all that much due to due to an injury but still if you're gonna put him on the field you you look his way mm-hmm. i mean and samson nakua obviously he he didn't uh he didn't really play at all um that i saw off, off um lined up as a wide receiver so i'm a little bit on some special teams um but i'll tell you i mean you you go across the board and and you know Vele Devon he he's not going to command a ton of reps and a ton of um balls thrown his way quite yet but what's the deal with Enos he gets no attention I know. Uh-huh. and he's so sure-handed he uh one reception for 7 yards and and last week he had two receptions for minimal yards again i just I mean, this isn't the Air Force Academy where these wide receivers come to block the running game. They probably feel like it is. <laughs> probably get more touches at Air Force. I mean, I, I just, ugh. I mean, there's there's a lot of speculation that Enos um, was potentially looking to transfer last offseason. There's a lot of talk on Twitter right now that uh, he may be a family. His family is liking a lot of those tweets, which is never a good sign. Um, who knows? Obviously, we'd love to hold on to him, but could you could you really fault a guy who doesn't get the attention of the quarterback? If his he he's clearly a talented guy, and if his goal is to have a chance at the NFL, if he's not getting balls thrown to him here, he's got to go someplace. Dude, dude, he could literally go to transfer to Air Force and get more balls thrown his way. (laughs) I mean, seriously, it is ridiculous. And I get it. There, we've got a lot of weapons, <laughs> and as Ute fans, we're really not used to having a lot of weapons. <laughs> Apparently, Ludwig isn't either. <laughs> so you can't keep everybody happy. You're you're gonna have guys that you know are gonna go games with very little attention. But to to week in and week out, you know, it, it makes me wonder: is just is Enos not getting open? Is he not running the right routes? Or which I don't think is an issue, but maybe maybe he just not is he the second, third, fourth read in a lot of these these uh, pass plays? It's I, I I don't know the answer to that. Or is Bentley not making the right read? I mean, you could go a number of ways on why these guys aren't getting the ball. I mean, for all we know, plays are called for him, and Bentley sees something, so he doesn't go there. That's where that's where he touches the helmet and checks to a run. Maybe that's it. Every time it's every, every time a place called for Solomon, he checks it to a run. <laughs> Maybe that's what Jordan was. The, the defense was keen on it. They're like, well, he touched his helmet. They must be running. 
I don't know. I'm sure there's some frustration in that wide receiver room. And then and then you look at the emergence of a Britton Covey. That may not help his chances of getting more balls is thrown his way. It it's tough. I mean, you're never gonna you're never gonna make everybody happy, and especially guys who play wide receiver, they want the ball all the time. And um so but you've gotta at least go to him a couple of times a game, probably. Yeah, and I I thought we'd see Money Parks a little bit this year. I mean, he's he's not not only is he not getting balls thrown his way, he's not getting on the field to have balls not thrown his way. We just gave more attention to the wide receiver position than Bentley has in three games. <laughs> All right, I know we've been harping a lot about the offense, um, but there were a lot of good things. I mean, they were able to to move the ball in that first half very well. They got to correct the things in, in the red zone, kicking three field goals back to back to back to start a game. Never good, right? I mean, you could have been up 21 nothing instead of nine. Um, and again, I think just little things that you can correct in the red zone there, especially in it's the good passing thing game. Because then we would have started mailing it into the second quarter <laughs> instead of the third. But they're making progress. And I think <laughs> the offensive line is getting better. I think, you know, having more reps together uh, in, in practice and in, in games, uh, it's helping that unit come together. Uh, but still a lot a lot to work out. This defense, though, another, I, I think, a very good performance. Maybe they, you know, allowed a little more rushing yards than they normally do um, against Oregon State. But overall, for a young defense, they continue to impress. Outside, outside of, I mean, it was a big issue, penalties. Penalties oh, was yeah. a big Penalty issue. Penalties was a big issue. Seven first downs off penalties is, is way well, too many. They're one of their touchdown drives. We penalized. We were penalized five times for forty-one yards in that drive alone. Yeah, it was, and 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 some of them are just are coming on third down. the The last drive of the game, we had uh, um, a stop, and what happens? Penalty, first down. Well, how many of them were illegal hands to the head? Illegal hands to the head, targeting, defensive holding. You never you on never, a lineman. You never, <laughs> you never get, get that, that ever. Then the, they're throwing ball. The quarterback's throwing the ball away in the pocket. Nothing's coming. They're fair catching and running after the fair catch. Nothing's happening. I'll tell you, <laughs> that was, there were some shady His calls knee going hits on. The ground five yards before he crawls out of bounds, and then they and give stop him the clock. I know. Stop the clock. I'll tell you that was it was, but but even, regardless, even with those penalties, really impressive what you're seeing out of these young guys. Well, and I think it's going to happen with the young defense, right? I mean, we talk about that each week. There's going to be mistakes. There's going to be blown assignments, uh, bad angles on on tackling and and pursuits, and you're going to have some some weird penalties um, with a young defensive group. However, I, I liked how that what they showed, and I liked how. They they didn't give up, and when they needed to make a stop at the end of the game, that they buckled down and got that stop. And they made some big plays when they had to. How how much of that how much of that comes for, assisted a little bit by Oregon State's quarterback? Chance but, Nolan was not he was not 
all that sharp. But by the way, I think... And, and their starting running back was out, too, uh, with COVID protocol. Thank goodness, because so, it could have been a big, much different story. So a lot of things did go in, in, in Utah's favor in, in that aspect. However, I'm not going to take that away from Utah's defensive performance and what they were able to do. Yes, there's things to clean up. Um, and, and as you look at the Colorado game, Colorado's a great rushing team. Uh, that poses a great threat to Utah. However, you know, guys like Clark Phillips, who gets moved mid-game from corner to nickel uh, because of the targeting, you know, that that's hard to do. For a freshman to be playing two positions in one game, that's not easy to do. Is is Malone Mataeli, is he our new uh, Blair? <laughs> Dude, he trucked that guy. He did. His mouthpiece fell out. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, I get it. Definition of the rule, he, d- he used the crown of his helmet, but he he put it into the top of the guy's chest. It wasn't across the side of his head. Um, it's so ridiculous, some uh, of these calls. I wish they were more like the NFL. I don't think you should get ejected off one targeting. But I do think the, the Pac-12 is missing an opportunity here for another sponsorship, though. I mean, prescription eyewear for the quarterback of Oregon State. <laughs> I'll tell you what. How did he even see what the plays were? His eyes were closed. <laughs> Joking aside from his not being able to see the play calls come in, he he had some moments where he actually looked good. Uh, but I think we've definitely benefited from having their second string quarterback in. No, oh, most definitely. I mean, and, and, and he had a weapon with his legs, and he, he used them pretty pretty effectively. But, yeah, he, he, he looked like... Uh, a wild thing for major league out there. Some of the, some of the. I mean, he was throwing balls all over the place that weren't even in the zip code of the wide receivers. I maybe Solomon Enos, Enos transfers up there. <laughs> uh, so I don't think we can talk about the defense without talking about the Pututau brothers. I honestly thought that was their best game uh, so far this season. And I mean, Utah got their first sack of the season. So I, I think the three defense, of them, the defensive line. Definitely, uh, I think had their best game. Well, and uh, Mika Tafua had that huge sack on that last drive, which was beautiful move. Set the guy up outside, came back inside, and and I th- I thought he broke Chance Nolan's back there for a minute. He was squirming on the ground. He he threw him down pretty pretty good, but which is good to see. Hopefully, those edge rushers kind of come alive. We're we're still getting next to nothing out of Max Tupai. Um, which man, I'm 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 surprised by. I thought he would be much bigger force than what we're getting out of him. He's just, you know, he just he just can't break that edge. He just cannot get uh, get by. Um, but hopefully, hopefully that's the game that kind of lights the fire for for uh, Mika uh, because we definitely need more more help on the edges. Do you see uh, Tupai? Running down the field trying to cover the tight end. Oh my gosh! <laughs> you know, that's another. That one. was bizarre. That was another one where they dropped a, a touchdown. A wide too. open touchdown. <laughs> yeah, that was uh, that was that was a little bizarre to see him in coverage. I'm like, who's so far back in coverage? Oh, that's our defensive end. Okay, that makes more sense. <laughs> All right, so I think that will do it for our thoughts on the game. Uh, we do have Jordan Wynn on the line. we got to take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll be talking with former quarterback Jordan Wynn. 
All right, join us on the phone now. You legend, the QB1, Jordan Wynn. Jordan, how are you doing, buddy? I'm good. How are you guys doing? We're great. It's always great to have you on the show. I know we try to get you at least once a year during the season, uh, so really pre- appreciate you taking time uh, to jump in with us. You know, first question I have for you, and it's something we've been talking about for a couple of weeks now, it seems like, what's going on with Utah in the second half? They seem, they just seem like a totally different team. Is it coaching, play calling, defensive adjustments? What do you see going on in the second half for the Utes? Yeah, it's it's definitely tricky to, to put your finger on it. Um, I mean, obviously, UW stands out, you know, being up. 21-0 and, and then giving up the lead, especially in the fourth quarter and not really doing a whole lot on offense. And then last week, kind of looking, you know, like they were really in control and, uh, you know, almost imploding in the fourth. Um, it's tough to say, you know. I know, I know uh, when you get the lead, especially with kind of the year it's been with turnovers, you want to get ultra conservative and try and run the football and, you know, possess the football and um, limit the team from trying the opposing team from scoring points, but there's definitely a fine line of of doing that and getting you know too conservative and not making plays happen and allowing a team to just you know get a lot of momentum. So it's tough to say. You know, I don't know if it's coaching necessarily or players or what, um, but it's definitely something that's that's alarming. I mean, it's almost like no lead is is safe right now, no matter what they're doing. So kind of st- staying on that same subject. As as a quarterback leading the offense, how hard is it once once when an offense loses momentum like that? How hard is it to get it back? It's tough. Um, it really is. When things are starting to get up against you, it's it's tricky. Um, you know, both as a player and as a coach, the, the easiest way um, to try and combat that a little bit is just try to find real easy completions. Um, throw a bubble screen. Throw a hitch throw a slant, something that's, you know, really, really high percentage completion throw, uh, even maybe even move the pocket a little bit just to try to kind of freshen things up. Um, it's tough, though, when, when things start going wrong and, you know, the defense gives up points and, and offensively you're not doing much, It's you feel it. Um, and so the ability both as a play caller and as a quarterback to try and get back on schedule and, you know, kind of have the patience to say, hey, we don't need to do this all in one play. We don't need to throw some big play action over the top throw, but let's steal this back piece by piece at a time, starting with some easy completions is, is kind of the goal, at least I always had. Coming from a bunch of guys who really don't know X's and O's, and I, don't, I know it's just shocking, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I'm curious for coming from someone who plays the quarterback position and understands how the offensive line works and works as a unit. Can you talk about how important it is that the reps they get to become used to working with each other? Because we've seen, obviously, we saw in game one the offensive line had some issues run blocking and pass blocking. I think they've improved over the couple last couple of games, but maybe talk a little bit about how that works. Yeah, it's, um, you know, it's, it's definitely got to be a unit. That's why it's so tough when you're interchanging guys or guys go down with injuries. Um, those five guys are so important and it's so important that they're on the same page. Um, really in every single snap, 
Um, whether it's a run or a throw, there's constant communication between those guys up front. Um, you know, it usually starts with the quarterback and the center kind of IDing the defense and, and where we're going. And, and from there, it really pans out to the guards and tackles communicating, you know, if there's a double team, who they want to go to, um, who maybe they're comboing in the double team up to which linebacker. And so there's so much communication going on that if you don't have those five guys really in sync and not only in sync, but doing the right thing, um, I mean, it, it causes problems. And so, you know, again, like injuries or, or guys going down is really tough. And so I think you're right. I think the offensive line has definitely improved. I mean, against Washington, they ran the ball for over 200 yards. Last week with Ty Jordan going for over 100 yards, I think they've shown a ton of improvement. Um, and that's, I, I think that's pretty standard as the year goes on and those guys start to gel. Uh, but it, it's definitely a tricky deal. And it's something that, you know, we always talked about both in playing and coaching. That's, that's the burden of the offense is all 11 guys have to do their job correctly or the play doesn't go anywhere um, versus defense. I mean, you could b- completely blow a coverage on the back end, but if your defensive end is a world beater and goes and sacks the quarterback to the viewers at home, nobody knows. Nobody knows that all five guys were open down the field because they just saw the one defensive player make the play. Um, and so, it, you know, again, that, that's, that's the burden of the offense and playing offense and being an offensive guy is everybody has to be in sync and, um, you know, really have that cohesiveness for it to function. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned guys going down. Obviously, Cam Rising gets uh, gets a starting job, 14 snaps in, uh, um, hurts his shoulders, out for the year. Jake Bentley comes in, um, you know, and, and obviously with 30 starts under his belt uh, in the SEC, I, th- I think there was kind of an expectation that uh, he'd come in and, and would be, you know, playing at a pretty high level. How difficult... I mean, do you, do you think it's for him? Obviously, he's got he's got a number of uh, he's got quite a bit of experience, but going to a different program, a different um, a different system, and and then kind of being losing the job and then being thrown into the starting role. How difficult has that been for him to kind of go through all of that transition and and maybe is not living up to the expectation that maybe fans had for him? But just talk a little bit about that all that he's had to go through to get to this point and be the starter here at Utah. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely a lot. Like you said, Um, you know, playing that many snaps in the SEC, I think a lot of people had expectations, just like you said, that he was going to come in and excel right away. Um, You throw in a a pandemic and um, whatever you believe about the pandemic, either way, it's still limited reps. There's no spring ball. There's nothing really going on in the summer. And, then he loses the job in the fall. And so you talk about like real meaningful reps he's gotten with the ones at Utah. It's, it's probably pretty minimal um, in terms of good versus good, you know, one offense versus one defense. So, all, you know, you throw all of that in and, and, you know, it doesn't matter how many snaps you've played. That's tough to battle through. And, and um I mean, I can tell you from experience, what not necessarily transferring, but when I was a freshman and they named Terrence Kane the starter and trying to really stay mentally locked in and not get down on yourself or discouraged and trying to have that your one play away mindset is tough. Um, especially, 
you know, you run out of the tunnel knowing you're not going to play. Um, I mean, it's hard to stay locked in. And so, you know, he's doing the best that he can. He's, he's, you know, he's trying. Um, I, I think the, the big thing that was, was really shocking to me was the amount of turnovers he had in those first two games. Um, with experience comes, you know, the, the mentality, you know how to win football games. And the easiest way to lose a football game is by giving it to the other team. Um, and so I think that was that was the one thing that was really shocking, at least for me watching, is how many turnovers he had in those first two weeks. And, you know, last week, obviously, they corrected that. And, and then, you know, they get a win. Um, so, again, I, you know, I don't know. The expectations, I think, were pretty high. I mean, I, I want to say he was a pretty highly recruited kid out of high school. Um played a ton of snaps at South Carolina, kind of thought he was going to come in and, you know, really like excel and, you know, it just looks a little off. I, I don't really know how, how else to put it. Missed those two throws to, to Keithy in the end zone in the first quarter last week that were very makeable throws. And um, hopefully he makes another jump um, from game three to four. So Jordan, I know one thing, um, that has been kind of criticized of this offense is the inability to to spread the ball around and to get, you know, guys like Solomon Enos or Brian Thompson more involved in the offense and, and even um, to a point, you know, Keithy in a couple of the games. You know, how difficult is it not only for uh, the starting quarterback, for the but for the coaching staff to try to get the ball around and try to keep guys happy when they're not getting the ball as much? I mean, those guys are tough. <laughs> Wide receivers are tough to keep happy. Let me tell you, you can throw the ball. To, you can throw to the ball to them every play, and they'll still be like, "You didn't throw it to me enough." So, those those guys are tough. But that's what you want as a receiver, you know, from a quarterback's perspective. You want guys that want the ball. Um, so I, I, I'm sure it's really tough for him to keep those guys happy, especially the the second half of these last two games where they haven't seen many touches. Um, you throw in a guy like Keithy, who is pretty dynamic at tight end. Um, it seemed like early, at least last week, they were trying to to really like force the ball to him and get the ball into his hands quick, which I thought was good. But in the second half, it kind of went away. And so, it, I mean, it's tough. Those are your playmakers. Like that's why you recruit those guys to make plays. And you know, whether it's Bentley not seeing them open down the field or Ludd calling more conservative plays, it's hard for me to say. Um, but it's, it's tough, and that's something that, I mean, I don't think it's any secret. It needs to get fixed um, pretty quick. You know, obviously, you know, if, you, if you're missing guys, guys are wide, running wide open. How, how is that in film review? That's not fun. That's not a fun film session to be in. Um, <laughs> Do coaches just kill if you? If you're watching, um, you know, it's tough. Quarterbacks, you know, quarterbacks are tough to coach because – you don't want to just jump them all the time because it's such a mental game. And so you got to have a very neutral outlook, um, you know, neutral in, you can't be overly positive and act like everything's okay. And you can't be overly negative and constantly berating the quarterback. Very neutral, very neutral mindset. Hey, what'd you see here? Obviously this guy looks open. Walk me through what you saw. Um, most quarterbacks, especially veteran guys can talk their way through exactly what they saw, know that it was wrong or that it was missed and correct it and move on. Um, 
most, I say there, there are plenty of guys, you know, I'm sure that can't do that, but, but most guys can say, Hey, I saw this. I saw the safeties roll this way. I saw the corner do this. I just didn't think I could get it in there. And, and, you know, rather than force it in, I did this. Um, I think the amount of times at least that's happened this year. And again, whether that's play calling or, or Bentley not seeing it, uh, it's got a way on those guys um, watching film on Sunday and Monday morning going over it. I mean, these are, these are good athletes, Enos and Thompson and Keithy and Covey. Um, they're not getting, you know, uh, again, it's hard for me to say, cause I don't, I don't watch the tape anymore. I'm, I'm a, I'm just a fan like everybody else and sit and drink my beer and yell at the TV just like anybody else. But, um, <laughs> These guys are good players. I find it hard to believe that they're covered every single snap in the second half of these last two games. So um, I would imagine there's a lot of corrections. And again, Bentley's a veteran guy. He probably knows he needs to make them and, and fill that. And, you know, hopefully he makes that, that jump this week. So turning back to, to Cam Rising, obviously goes down with a sh- shoulder injury. Um, you know, you experienced that. Unfortunately for, for Ute fans everywhere, um, we were kind of robbed from, from seeing you, um, really kind of meet your potential because of, because of that shoulder injury. Talk, talk to, uh, talk to us kind of what he's, what Cam Rising's going through now and kind of the outlook of a quarterback having such a, a major injury on a throwing shoulder. Uh, it's, it's tough. It's a bleak. It's a <laughs> it's a very dark place. Um, truthfully, you know, not necessarily the injury itself, but um, just growing up as a thrower. You know, I used to sit and joke like, "This is this is my the million dollar arm. This is the money maker." And and so when, when you get hurt and you have to have surgery, it's it's tough. Um, I compare the the injury. You know, it's similar to a pitcher getting Tommy John surgery. Um, it's not easy to come back from, um, you know, it, it ultimately wasn't what ended my career was my throwing shoulder was my non throwing shoulder. But after I had my throwing shoulder operated on, it's just tricky to come back from, um, from, a, you know, like a medical standpoint, most throwers, um, put a lot of, a lot of torque and mobility into that shoulder joint when you throw and a lot of guys even uh, like hyperflex almost to where their shoulder is so, um, loose. That's kind of what makes them such good throwers. Is it's almost like a rubber band, the ability to really snap that joint and have a lot of torque on it. And so, when you go in for surgery, you know they have to fix that. And I mean, you could you could talk to most doctors across the country. It's those are hard surgeries because how tight do you make that labrum? How tight? How loose do you leave it? How did you fix it right? are they able to throw again the same way? And, um, you know, for, for him, the big thing, and at least for me going through that injury was trying to get to the point where mentally I trusted it again. Um, and that takes a lot of time and it takes a lot of reps and it's not easy. Um, you know, I always laugh about it, but after I had mine operated on, it was like five, six months before they let me really throw a pass. And Norm had just got hired as our coordinator. So I had sat out spring and me and him had met and gone over the offense and stuff. And so finally it was like this big moment of like, hey, Jordan gets to throw. I was pumped. It was like my first real pass uh, post-op, you know, months later. And our trainer stood, you know, 
10 yards, eight yards away from me in the indoor. And I go to throw in just one hop it to him and he's eight yards away. And it was just this, this, this jaw dropping moment of, man, I like, I really have to, in essence, almost retrain my arm on how to even do this. Um, Mm. and so that's, that's, that's the trickier part I would say of, of, of this whole deal with cam, you know, physically you can get back to being strong and, and, you know, lifting weights on it and moving around and feeling okay. But, um, to be able to really trust that and put the same amount of torque on it is something that takes a lot of time. So with that trust and kind of the mental aspect of that, can you gain that kind of during practice and, you know, you know, scrimmage reps, or do you have to kind of have the game and game reps to kind of start getting kind of, kind of that confidence back in your shoulder? Um, I mean, you can get it back in practice and in scrimmage reps, but it's it's almost like you have to take this 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 leap, this jump. Really, at least for me, I remember thinking, you know, I I, I can throw it hard, but I can't really put everything into it because I I just it took me a long time to trust it. And again, it just happens over time. It, it's it starts with I'm gonna really cut one loose right now and and see how this feels and. If it feels good, then you build on it. And if it doesn't, you're kind of back to, oh, I kind of got to go at 80% for a little while until I can, you know, muster up the strength to try and really let one rip again. And it takes time. It's it's not something that's, you know, it's not easy to do. Hey, I got one question for you in regards to recruiting, I guess, mainly from a from a coaching standpoint, since you've kind of gone, well, you went through it, obviously, as a player, and you've done it for, through coaching. Talk about how it is, how coaching staffs have to weigh who they offer scholarships to for, for quarterbacks. Because, you know, obviously... Utah's got Costelli coming in, and he's high, highly rated. But there's a lot of talk around uh, the state that they dropped the ball on another local kid. Um, so how how do you how do you do that? Yeah, it, I mean it's tough. You know the the I'm assuming you're talking about the Jackson Dart kid at Corner Canyon, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he um, he's he's a he's a dang good player. Um, you know, it's it's a unique situation, and it's truthfully, it's only gotten worse with earlier signing periods and everything. Um, you know, the the quarterback position, there's only one ball. You know, there's only one guy that can take the snap, and so trying to get a guy. Most recruiting classes, you only sign one guy, and you can't sign no guys. So it's almost, you know, a bird in hand is is two in the bush. So you go after these guys that played early and. You know, not not taken away from their talent at all, but um, had a little bit better situations in high school. Maybe got a chance to play earlier, got a ton of snaps. You see them throw, you get to know them. Um, it's extremely difficult to project what a guy's going to look like from when he's seventeen, eighteen to when he's twenty-one. Um, and I think you know the the guy at Corner Canyon is a good example of that. I, you know, I know he started in high school and played some games, but. Um, I don't know how many of those games were really at a high level uh, against top talent. Um, and obviously he's proved to, to show that he, that he can play at an extremely high level. I mean, I've looked at how many touchdowns he had and that's insane. And I think this, the same can be said about what happened when Jack Tuttle was getting recruited versus Zach Wilson. Tuttle played a ton, 
of meaningful snaps as a, as a young guy in high school, had a ton of film, had what you wanted in the size and the arm strength. And here comes Zach Wilson along a little bit late. Um, again, a very capable guy, obviously showing down there in Provo, but it's super tough to evaluate these guys. And, and it only gets worse with when they add earlier signing days and signing periods and, and things like that. So there's a reason why you, you sit and watch hours and hours of film on these guys. Um, it's, it's, it's an art. It really is an art to be able to project what these guys are going to look like. And, you know, there are guys that are really good at it and there are guys that maybe aren't so good at it. And, uh, you know, it, it's definitely tough. Did you like playing for wit? I loved playing for Whittingham. Did you? He was great. Yeah. I mean, partially, I think a lot of it is he's such a defensive coach. Um, at least when I was up there, he was so, my interactions with him were very rarely about football. Oh, really? Um, yeah, there, there was not a whole lot of interaction between me and him about football. A lot of times it would just be chatting with him in the hall or out on the pra- I mean, he was, he was great at, um, he was super personable, like knew my whole family by first name, asked how they were doing by first name all the time, um, which was really cool and unique for a head coach to to do that. Um, I mean, very, very rarely did we ever talk X's and O's. Um, we talked situational football quite a bit, or during the game we'd talk about, again, situations coming up. But, um, again, at least when I was up there, he spent so much time with the defense that um, – I mean, I, I like really enjoyed playing for him. I have no complaints about it whatsoever. Oh, that's good to hear. That's awesome. All right, Jordan, la- last thing here for you. So uh, when you look back on your playing career, um, high school, college, what is your most memorable moment? Uh, I mean, it's it's a toss-up between two of them, really. I think the Poinsettia Bowl was probably the, the pinnacle of my career. Um you know, what a blast to be able to go back to San Diego and play in front of my friends and family and, and beat up on Cal and get the MVP. And, Dude, you, um, just, you, you killed just it. You killed it yeah. in that game. <laughs> oh, it was just, it was, it. it was so fun. It was so much fun. Uh, we thought you, after that game, we thought you were going to win a Heisman and, and take us, take hey, us places we've what, never been was, before. <laughs> I, I, you know, I thought I was thinking pretty highly of myself too. <laughs> but <laughs> it, uh, it uh that was so much fun i mean what a great game and and you know so i remember waking up the next day thinking you know i was just the poinsettia poinsettia bowl mvp against cal this is the worst i'm ever going to be i'm only going to get better over my next three years um and obviously with injuries and things like that things change but that's probably the top one the second one is um walking into the smiths out here in salt lake and looking I had to check out and I looked down at the sports illustrated and I'm on the cover. And that was a just like, Whoa moment. And I remember trying to keep my composure, but I ended up just grabbing every single copy (laughs) (laughs) and just kind of like walked up there with like, I don't know, 10 or 15 copies, slamming them down on the register. (laughs) And the cashier's looking at me like, what's up with this guy? Um, I'll take all of these, ma'am. Yeah, no, exactly. That was pretty surreal. You know, growing up as a kid, you always dream about those moments and, you know, saying, oh, I'm going to be on the cover of Sports Illustrated one day. But to actually, you know, see it was uh, unbelievable. That's awesome. Jordan, (laughs) that's great. Thank you so much. 
uh, for taking hey, yeah, time and, guys, and talking talking to us. We, I mean, honestly, like, I, we could just do three hours of nothing but Jordan win, and I mean, people would <laughs> love it. Uh, but just uh, just really appreciate you always taking time and 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 hanging out with us. Yeah, no problem. Seriously, anytime. Uh, always great to talk with Win. Uh, love his insight. Again, you know, he's played at this level. He's coached at this level. Um, and so just really appreciate him taking time and, and kind of breaking it down for us. Uh, we do need to take another break when we come back. Let's talk a little Colorado. So Utah faces Colorado this Friday. This is... Is this a different Colorado team than Utah's faced the last couple of years? I mean, they're undefeated. They're, they're, they appear to be playing a lot better uh, than what they had the last couple seasons. I'm surprised because I think when before the season started, I think we all had them picked to be dead last in the South because they, they had a new coaching staff. They lost their starting quarterback, and here they are competing – uh, against USC for the South Division champs. Yeah, they're 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 a big surprise, and uh, and Carl Durrell right now is probably your your coach of the year. Which who would have who would have seen that coming? So the big surprise. I mean, sitting there at four and zero. If if they beat Utah, there's a chance that uh, they will be undefeated and still not play for the South title. Depends what, on what de- a bummer. Depends on you how USC plays. Uh, so their games this year, they face UCLA 48-42, Stanford 35-32. Uh, they were supposed to play USC, and I wish they would have played that game because I think that would have shown a, a lot what this Colorado team is made of. Uh, that game was canceled because of COVID. Uh, they ended up playing San Diego, beat them 20-10. to uh, and then this past weekend, uh, be Arizona twenty four thirteen. They they were down thirteen uh, nothing and came back and, and won that game. Uh, but the running back Broussard ran for three hundred yards um, against the Wildcats. They're the ninth best rushing team in the country, uh, averaging two hundred forty five yards a game. And I think that's what kind of makes me the most nervous about this game is Colorado has the ability to run the ball. They've they've been doing it. Utah, the first couple games against USC and Washington were great against the rush. Didn't show as well against the rush against Oregon State. I think really that's what this game is going to come down to, is what what part of that is going to impose their will? Is it going to be Colorado's rushing attack or Utah's defensive rushing attack? I think that's where this game is won or lost. It's almost like a mirror of each other. I mean, they, they like to run the ball. They they do enough through the passing game. But, I mean, you, you look at Sam Neuer, um, young quarterback, and – his stats, I mean, they're good. They're good. They're not. They're not phenomenal. Completing sixty-two percent of his passes, um, four touchdowns on the season, and again, you know, his yards yards per game. They're 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 good. They're not great, but what what they're doing, especially what uh, Jarek Broussard's doing on the ground right now, they they run the ball and they run it really really well, and uh, it, it's it's going to come down to which team runs it better. Utah, Utah, Colorado, and and which defense can stifle the others because um, that's their strength, and that's that's what we're going to get a heavy dose of it. Obviously, last game 
um, against OSU. Uh, we were not able to go against Jefferson, which would have been a big test. But this is the test. This this will be a big test for this defensive well, line. Well, I think it's going to be a, a great test for a player like Nate Ritchie, who is very inexperienced, has had some some ups and downs um, so far through three games. I, I think Utah is going to rely heavily on him to aid in in the rushing attack, right? I mean, Utah historically with the safety position has used that to help stop the rush. And so I think this is a great opportunity to really show where Nate Ritchie is right now in his development. Yeah, when he, and he's playing close to the line of scrimmage. So you're, you're gonna, he's going to be up there on the line of scrimmage or just off of it. And definitely he's going to have to have a big game. But but really the, the interior and, and the edge of the line are going to have to be really, really good. Um, obviously they have been to this point. Outside of giving up a couple of, uh, of big runs against Oregon State, they've they've done a good job at locking down the run game. And so both the Pututau brothers and Moala, I mean, they're going to have to be good, good up, good up, stay in the gap control, and uh, and then obviously our DNs, um, you know, it's it, it's going to have to be one of their better games to to keep uh, that running game in in check, and I'll it's it. It's going to be a fast game. It could be a two-and-a-half-hour game. <laughs> Both teams just run the ball. Well, and I think also the, the D-line, the D-ends, they have to be assignment sound. Um, they got to make sure that they anchor their spots. Well, and I, I really credit sorry, I really credit Colorado. It seems like they've developed a, a DNA to their program right now. They know what they are, uh, and, and, and they're running the ball, and, and they do it well. And yeah, they're, they're DNAs of mini Utah. They just want to be like us. But no, I mean they're 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 a big surprise, and and they're they're uh, surprisingly a well coached team. <laughs> so it'll it'll be it'll be a good game, and it's it's going to be a big test. But I mean, so, so Neuer, the you know a senior quarterback, but you know a quarterback with not a ton of experience prior to this year. Grant is doing pretty well, but not much is being asked of him. So when he those few opportunities where where he is throwing the ball, if the secondary can take advantage and obviously not allow any not allow any of those big explosive plays or maybe even cause a turnover or two from him, that could be huge and that ultimately could be the difference of this of this game. But this is a big game. This is a big game for in kind of a weird pointless season. It's kind of a big game because this gets you back to, to five hundred, two and two. And gives you a chance to have a winning record, really, to end the season. So, um, winning back-to-back games and obviously beating your rival—it's—it's going to be a big game. Um, which, you know, we really haven't had a ton of those against Colorado, the uh, the uh, the rival that has been thrown upon us, just hasn't been there. So. Um, with with something on the line for Colorado, yeah, that's it'll it, it'll be a good opportunity to give them maybe them a little payback, which they've done to us a couple of times. Definitely, and we can kind of get into that. So Colorado right now is tied with USC uh, for the the South Division. If they both win, they'll both claim you know co champions of the South. However, USC would go to the Pac twelve championship game um, over Colorado because of their Col- USC. <laughs> basically because Colorado has had more games canceled because of COVID compared to USC. That's the, that's the only tiebreaker. If, if, if buff, if the buffs do finish undefeated, that's a tough pill to swallow. Mm, yeah, it would be tough. All right. So let's jump into our pack 12 picks. 
Last week we went four and two, so on the year I'm fourteen and seven, and you guys are tied at twelve and nine. Uh, just Jeez, run- we're as bad as uh, the rest of the Pac-12. <laughs> just run through the games real quick. First game, Stanford beats Washington thirty-one twenty-six. That was a crazy game. Who did I not did see not that see that coming. coming. Stanford's practicing in the local municipal park, <laughs> and then Oregon drops the game to Cal. Cal's first win of the season comes against the Ducks, 21-17. Again, just another wacky game. No, I don't think anyone saw coming. But but isn't that just perfect Pac-12? That's what happens every year. There's too much parity in this conference. Mm-hmm. Weird upsets every every, every year. Uh, Colorado beat Arizona, uh, as I mentioned earlier, 24-13. UCLA gets Who another beat Arizona. UCLA gets another win. Uh, over ASU 25-18. I think UCLA going into next season is going to be very interesting to see if this program is for real, if they've turned the corner, or if this is just another fluke of 2020. Uh, and then USC beats Washington State 38 I, I kind of think UCLA is the, the BYU of the Pac-12. That's it. That's my take. <laughs> All right, looking at games this week. Uh, Scott, your week to go first. Uh, the first game we're looking at is the rivalry game. ASU is traveling to Arizona. ASU is an eleven point favorite. Scott, who do you taking? Oh, geez, that's an easy one. ASU, ASU wins big. Arizona is a hole. I'll take the Sun Devils as well, and I wouldn't be surprised if Sumlin is let go at the end of the season. Ryan, who do you got? Put a fork in him. You're taking Arizona. All right, the next game we're looking at, Washington and Oregon. It just doesn't have the same... Juice? Um, yes, uh, with both teams coming off losses. I think the league was hoping this was the game that could help propel one of the teams into the discussions of the playoffs, but it's not going to happen. Oregon's a six-point favorite. Scott, who do you got? Well, as it currently stands, if Washington does not play the game, if they opt out... They they go to the Pac-12 championship. So by not playing the game, they secure themselves the North and a chance for the Pac-12 title. So it's going to be interesting. Are they going to make up COVID illnesses to not play? It might be interesting to see if they even play the game. To be honest with you, we're, we're gonna it'll be interesting and uh, um, see what direction they go on that. But uh, I'm going to go. Whew, Oregon, I'm going to go with Oregon on that. I just, the, I haven't been overly impressed. I know we lost to Washington, but I wasn't overly impressed with them. They were awful in the first half. We we kind of just let that game get away from us. Stanford, who's done nothing so far this year, um, goes up and handles them. So it'll be, I hope the game gets played, and I, I, ho- I actually hope Oregon wins it because I think they're at least worthy of being the the North champion over Washington at this point. Yeah, I mean, this season's been so weird with Oregon. But I'll, I'll go with the Ducks. Um, all the same reasons. I don't trust Washington right now. Ryan, where do you got? I'll go with the Ducks too. I don't. There's no way they're going to lose three in a row. Next game, rivalry in L.A. USC's traveling. If you want to call it traveling to UCLA, USC's a, only a three point favorite. I think that's a. I was thinking it'd be a little bit bigger. Scott, Trojans or Bruins? I'm going with the upset. I'm going to go with uh, the Bruins on this one. It's rivalry week. It's the Pac-12. I, I, you know, I don't, USC is playing pretty well right now, but uh, 
Yeah, I'm going to go with Bruins. Why not? I got the Trojans. Fight on, right? I'm going to go with the upset, too. I think uh, just because it's 2020 and it's COVID and the and UCLA is playing some decent ball, go with the rivalry upset. Next game, Cal coming off their big win against Oregon's going to Pullman to play the Washington State Cougars. Cal's a two-and-a-half-point favorite. Scott, who do you got? Well, Cal just beat Oregon. Washington State just got hosed by USC. So, considering how things go, probably Washington State. I agree with you. I'm taking the Cougars. Ryan, who do you got? You would. I'm going to go with the Cal Bears. Thanks for nothing, Burton Hanks. Stanford travels to Corvallis to play the Beavers. Scott, trees or beavers? I'm going to go trees at this point. I got the trees as well, Ryan. Go Cardinal. And then our last game, Utah's traveling to Boulder to play the Colorado Buffs. Colorado's a two-point favorite. Got Who do you got and what's your score? Oof. Saturday night, I would have probably picked Colorado, but my my homerism has uh, has come back in the in the the days that have followed. So, ah, uh, I I think I think Utes get the upset here. I'm going to go with Utah with the score of thirty one to twenty four. I'm probably going to get a lot of crap for this. I actually think Colorado wins this game. It's strictly just because Utah has not been able to put four quarters together yet. And, you know, Colorado, they're a solid team at the moment. And for those reasons, I'm going to go Colorado. I got them winning 28-24. Do you hear that, Utah players? Cameron doesn't believe in you. So Ty Jordan, Jake Bentley, we believe in you. We're picking you. We're behind you. It's rivalry week, baby. It's time to beat the Buffs, put them in their place, remind them who runs the South. If Cam doesn't want to believe in you, that's up to him. But no, on this podcast, we back you. Go Utes. Can we'll I, be till I die, Kai-yai. Can I make my pick Ryan, <laughs> you picking? No pressure. Yeah, Ryan, who are you picking? After that, after that little tirade, I want to know who you're picking. Of course I'm going with the Utes. It's rivalry week. Wouldn't go any other way. Utes are going to put four quarters together, Cameron. You pessimist. Yeah, we've gone from two quarters to three. It's only natural. We're going to do a full game. I say Utah wins this one 27-24. I think we beat the Buffs. I think we beat Woody Dixon and his little minions. I know he's left, but he's 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 got little minions still running things up there, and Merton Hanks hasn't taken control of this conference yet. Ryan, where, where can people find you on Twitter? At Drum and Feather. That's Drum, the letter N, Feather. And Scott? You can find me in the winner's circle after this game. Ute Man underscore forever. Right next to Lightning McQueen. <laughs> Ka-chow! <laughs> You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Utah Man Podcast, and be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play. Uh, we have tons of interviews throughout the week from Utah football and basketball, uh, so if, make sure you don't miss those by subscribing to us. And you can always go to our, our home at utahmanpodcast.com. Hopefully I am wrong, Utah gets the win, and go Utes. 
Go Utes. Go Utes will be till I die. Kayai. We're good. Let's cut it. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are their own and are no way affiliated with the University of Utah.